Citizens of Rome, thank you for your attendance tonight. Uh, we have a gladiatorial matchup tonight. We have two intellectual giants who will fight it off. Maybe not as long as I'd hoped. But uh, the debate tonight for this inaugural episode of My Camera Not Focusing In uh, of the Coliseum will be anarchy versus manarchy. Some government, no government. Who wins? Who loses? Well, that is decided by the comment section. We'll uh, we'll we'll have a poll going throughout the show. Uh, we'll we'll see what people say, but uh, you know, we'll let the comments decide. And uh, you know, you uh. You, the people, the fine people of Internet Rome, uh, get to, to determine who lives, who dies, who gets swatted, and who gets a free pizza from Domino's. Only some of that is true, and it's not the pizza. So, without further ado, no one wants to hear my yapping ass voice. I will bring on the two contestants, hailing from Menarchistan, Mr. Sean Hickman. Hello, sir. And we've got uh, a gentleman who has traveled many, many years from the future, from Ancapistan, to be with us tonight. Dan, taxation is Seth Berman. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on tonight. Thanks. Thanks for putting this together. I, uh, I'm drinking the uh, blood of my previous opponent, and I can't wait to drink the blood of Sean's after the uh, execution following... Uh, when we find out who wins, that 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 was a great segue. Um, that actually <laughs> took me by surprise, which is rare. And I saw Toga in the comments, and I was like, "I got my Toga. Here we go. I'm ready." <laughs> Sean, you muted. I seen you trying to talk. I don't know if you knew you still muted or not. We're good to go now. Yeah, we're good, man. Uh, you're right. you're we're live, and this is live, not Memorex. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and I'll lay out the ground rules real quick for everyone watching. Um, basically, the ground rules are no personal attacks, which is, this is designed to be civil discourse between adults uh, trying to find solutions and answers to questions that people may have that they don't themselves know how to get to. So um, uh, we the the. The conversation will flow naturally. I want it to be a one-on-one -on -one versus Dan versus Sean. It won't be Caesar bootleg stepping in to save someone, or maybe it will. Who knows? Uh, it, it it is anarchy. It is it, it's the 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 status version of anarchy, which will be chaos, which is not the real anarchy. But uh, <laughs> this started going bad. Anyways, I, I'll I'll kind of moderate. I'll referee the fight. We'll we'll see how it goes. But, uh, gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, the first question I will pose to both gentlemen. Um, in modern America, apparently roads are the most important thing to all Americans when you talk about libertarianism, whether it's menarchy or anarchy. Uh, the first rebuttal is always my roads. So in your preferred uh, existence, whether it's menarchy, Sean, or anarchy, Dan, uh, how do roads exist? 
and why is your solution like the anarchy or minarchy version better sean we'll start with you bud awesome yeah no this is a simple one and uh one that i like answering uh roads are not complicated to build and there's no reason why private companies can't build them uh there's plenty of incentives for businesses to want roads financed uh so people can drive on them so they can get to their businesses uh i don't believe it fits within the proper scope of government uh in the uh my thoughts of what government should be uh for for us to be thinking about roads or or anything else that's nonsensical um the uh, the only role of government really should be to protect rights of its citizens, and roads have nothing to do with that. Awesome. So, um, I, I want to first say I agree with some of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I want to take it a little bit further. Um, yeah, we like Amazon. Amazon would, would build the roads because how else would they deliver all those packages if they didn't have roads, right? Um all roads are different. Like everybody thinks like, oh, there's just going to be one solution. Um, some roads might be toll roads. Some roads might be small community roads. You might take care of the roads in your own neighborhood with your HOA. Um, all, all this stuff is different. And in fact, a lot of those roads are built by the developer because they can't sell the houses if they don't have roads in front of them. Um, and so, you you know, when you look at toll roads, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to have to pay per mile to drive on a road. I drive on them for free. No, you don't. Actually, you're already paying per mile to drive on those roads with hidden gas taxes where they make something like $180 million per day in taxes, $250 million per day if you include all the traffic citations and driver's licenses and all this other crap that they do to steal money from you. And then uh, none of that money ever actually gets to the roads. I mean, they'll build a couple here and there, but most of it goes into the pockets of politicians um contractors who are friends of the politicians and and everybody else and it really doesn't cost that much to build a road um i've seen plenty of people build roads for less when they do it without the government and that's the way it should be awesome so yeah so i think we're in agreement that roads can be built uh it's not a government magic item uh the federal government does not own the exclusive ability to build roads um I guess we'll kind of go into something a little meatier here. Uh, what would national defense look like in in kind of your style? Uh, you know, with anarchy, with no centralized government, there would be essentially, it would have to look very different compared to what we're looking at now. So, Dan, did you want to go ahead first on that one? Sure. Um, I would say it might look something like um, Vietnam or Afghanistan. I mean, these these... The, the United States government, the most powerful military in the world, could not win either of those wars. And it wasn't because they were fighting against a centralized military. They were they were fighting a bit against a bunch of guys who were mildly armed with small arms. And and there's this this myth that like, oh, well, you know, you can't beat the U.S. military or you can't beat a foreign big military because they have, you know, all this technology and all this other stuff. Um, the reality is that technology means nothing. And then there's been um, there's been a lot of uh, generals um, who who have who basically stated that when they're fighting an unorganized enemy, it's actually more difficult because when it's an organized enemy, um, you have troops who are just sitting there waiting for orders sometimes and they're easy to strike. But when you're striking an enemy that's decentralized and disorganized, 
Um, everybody's always ready. As long as they know that, that there's a threat, they're always armed and ready. And I think that's probably um, also the, the close to the Swiss model um, where everybody's part of the militia. Um, so, you know, I think we stick to our Second Amendment rights and we stick to the fact that like we all protect our own property and we get together whenever there's a bigger threat and, and we can defend against this stuff. Um, and one more thing I want to bring up is cyber attacks because everyone likes to say, oh, but what about these crazy cyber attacks and, you know, all, all this other stuff? There's crazy people who sit around on ham radios and like loitering around the Internet all day and they're finding all kinds of shit that the government doesn't even know about yet because there's millions more of them than there are in the government who are tasked with that kind of stuff. So, you know, to, to think that, you know, the government's got more intelligence than a, a, an entire country of 350 million people is a little bit insane also. That's a great point. Sean, uh, so I did want to answer one quick question. Uh, yes, I, I guess we'll have a segment towards the end. Uh, something I've kind of played around with. I think uh, a closing segment we'll we'll let uh we'll have a couple of call-in moments so if you want to go to not a real libertarian.com or no anchor.fm slash not a real libertarian uh you can leave your call in for both both gladiators one gladiator no gladiators whatever uh, i'm not here to make rules except i am i guess but hey so sean did you want to you want to tackle the uh national defense for minarchy yeah, we definitely um, are going to see uh, things similar in one respect, but then uh, diametrically opposed in another respect. So uh, the Second Amendment definitely allows us to uh, be prepared for um, for combat on our soil. and the But we do need more strategic plans than that. And I, I think that we sometimes underestimate the capabilities that we have in the air and the sea. Um, I, I don't think that we have any organized uh, militias in this country uh, that rival the U.S. Navy uh, or the U.S. Uh, Air Force when it comes to dominating the air and the sea. Uh, I would prefer to have an organized military that is well-trained and geared up, and we've been geared up, uh, to be able to repel these threats before they get to our shores. I don't want Afghanistan on our soil. I want us to be able to uh, keep those battles uh, off of our shores. And I and this again gets back to the fundamental, uh, uh, you, you know, foundation of what I believe in terms of uh, what the proper role of government would be. And that's just a standard which the government exists for one reason, one reason only, and that's to protect our rights. One of those rights is to live. And so having a military, a strong military, is something that we absolutely need. The threats that we have today, uh, you talk about cybersecurity threats. I worked in cybersecurity. You're absolutely right that uh, the government doesn't know everything. In fact, uh, it's actually small startups that that really innovate in ways that uh, that, that uh, the government wouldn't be able to function without their help. And a lot of these companies, uh, you know, uh, you know, sell these services directly to the military uh, and and uh, allow them to be able to uh, to fend off some of these types of uh, threats, but. We have a nuclear arsenal that we have to worry about. We have bio attacks, chemical attacks that we have to uh, worry about. I don't believe that simply having, uh, you know, having your AR in your closet is going to repel every threat. I think it's going to work well if somebody wanted to march down the streets with firearms, uh, you know, in, in the streets in Texas. I think that they would probably not do well. I think Dan Berman and his army, or if they go through Tennessee and they run into the bootleg battalion, they're probably going to have some big challenges. 
But uh, again, I'd rather keep that fight in the sea and in the air and uh, and protect our civilians because I think that's the government's role is to protect its civilians. Can can I can I rebut a little bit of that? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Rebuttals um, are encouraged. All right. So um, let's see. So I, I want to talk about the uh, well. First of all, we, yeah, we don't want Afghanistan coming here and attacking people. But again. Uh, look look at the type of military they'd be sending it it wouldn't be anything to worry about it would be basically a few men with guns um and but then let's also look at why would they come here in the first place why why were we even at war with afghanistan in the first place and we could talk about de-escalation and how the united states government actually picked that fight and had they not picked that fight that wouldn't that war never would have happened um, so I, I think there's there's plenty of discussion about de-escalation there. Um, and yeah, with military, uh, or excuse me, with the with the Navy, um, you know, yeah, you have these massive cargo ships going from continent to continent and someone's got to protect them. Right. Because they're I mean, these things are they're transporting a lot of um, valuables and there are pirates out there who want to capture and steal these things. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, those ships aren't much different than the um then banks shipping large amounts of money from bank to bank or from bank to federal reserve and what do they do to protect those they hire armed guards and and you know they have um they have armored vehicles and they protect their goods and the bank who's responsible for transporting that is responsible for providing their own security and so if you think about this in terms of the navy um yeah if you want your ship to be protected you hire a private security firm and and just like insurance, right? You could say you hire insurance. One person doesn't hire an insurance company. A bunch of people pool their money to to pay for insurance, and a bunch of people could pay for the same private insurance company. And if you look back in, in United States history, that's probably a little bit closer to the model of what the Navy was to protect those ships. Um, the, the Navy ships were the ones paying the taxes for that. And as long as that's voluntary, and as long as no ship is forced to pay for it for the U.S. military and there's other organizations who are able to create their own battleships to to provide safety and protection for other ships and there's competition. I'd be totally cool with that, but it has to be voluntary. There can't be coercion and and you can't violate somebody's right to choose another company to provide that service. Yeah, I, I'd love to respond to that. So uh, the the, uh, the I'm gonna jump in real quick. I did want to bring up one one comment here. Uh, Jennifer Kaiser, she was actually in the Navy for a lot of years. She's saying that the Navy doesn't guard cargo ships, which I believe is correct. They're, they act more of like a policing force. So if you remember the, the Captain Phillips thing, they respond after something's happened. They don't, they don't actively guard ships. They just kind of patrol, and if something happens, they respond. But I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah. I, look. The idea of privatizing military and having private companies do this, it's not that they couldn't do it. Uh, of course, they, we can build ships and private companies can organize them. The question is under what command and, and, and having specific rules of engagement are incredibly important. I think that you and I, Dan, would agree that our foreign policy is absolute trash and the trouble that we find ourselves in is almost always our fault. And so I, I think that you and I would agree that there is definitely a shift that we need to make in foreign policy decisions. But when we start thinking about the agents that actually uh, operate these ships that, that are protecting the soil, 
and and doing the job of of I mean, for any veteran that's listening to this, there's there's nobody more effective than the United States military at at, at uh, doing the job of killing people, right? And so when we when we need to deploy, we do a fantastic job of that. And so the, the, the but the point it would be. Who's going to command them? I don't want private companies that have different agendas. That uh, it, not to say that, that that our agenda has been great. Uh, again, we agree on that. But we need to have one voice, one uh, you know, one decision making capacity that sets those rules of engagement. Otherwise, we could be in battle after battle over the weirdest things. We need to have a command. And like I've worked in corporate America, and and the idea that that somehow a private company is going to uh, not have bureaucracy or not have uh, challenges that are riddled within our government. Uh, I think you're just calling, uh, you, 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 maybe you don't like the label government and you like the idea of, of, of uh, the word private better, but having worked in the private sector, I can tell you that the leadership fails you there just as easily as it can fail you uh, in government. Yeah, so- absolutely. But here's the thing. When it fails in government, you're still forced to pay for it. So all these wars that have been going on for the past hundred years, you're still forced to pay for it. You had to pay for Afghanistan. If that was a private corporation doing that, you could say, hey, I'm not giving those guys any money. I'm not buying an iPod so Apple can go to war with Afghanistan. Like that that's the difference. Being able to pull that consent and say, I'm not paying for this. Look at look at Vietnam when you had like these massive, massive protests of people who said, We don't want to go to war. And what did the government do? They said, Well, too bad. You're we're going to war anyway. Why? Because they already had the money from everybody and they were going to continue stealing from everybody to make sure they could pay for that military. They controlled the money with the Federal Reserve. They controlled the entire thing. There was no way for us to say, we don't like what you're doing and we're going to shut it down because that wasn't a voluntary contract. I also want to throw one other thing out. You know, when you when you talked about um, uh, biological weapons, uh, how how well are they handling the COVID thing? Which we which we've now found out that the whole Wuhan uh, lab is connected to uh, DARPA and and all this other stuff. So it was actually arguably the fault of the United States government again. And now they have the problem, and they still can't figure out how to solve it. They've got this arbitrary bullshit, and and anybody who wants to withdraw that consent, they're being threatened with jail time, with with mandates. You're going to have your job taken away, and all this other stuff. The government's response to everything is, is we're going to give the orders, and if you don't like it, we're going to take everything you have and throw you in prison. And that's not a civilized way to run a society. I, I, I agree with what, what your last sentence was. The problem is is that uh, you're, you're acting as if that the government making these decisions would be any different than if human beings were working for a private organization making these same types of decisions. There's still going to be profit motives. There's still going to be, uh, uh, you know, malevolent intent. If you could legislate benevolence, then I think our problem is solved. The, the, the issue is, is we can't legislate benevolence. What we can do, though, is we can educate people upon a standard which we've gotten away from. And that standard is that the it, what, what did the founders learn when they decided to found this country in the first place? It was that the Age of Enlightenment said that individual rights are worth protecting. That is the standard in which the government is it w- was spawned. We need we need to get back to educating people on the importance of individual rights and the role of the proper role of government. Like we could we could agree all day on all the improper uh, roles of government. What I'm here to defend is a proper role of government, something that today doesn't exist. 
just like the, just like anarchy doesn't exist, proper role of government doesn't exist today either. What 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 the, where the nuance is is which would be the best suited to defend these individual rights, and I think that's where you and I might have some disagreement. Is you know we have no disagreement that it, what we're doing today is not working, and so I like it, we we could move past that because we, we're in full agreement that the government today is not working. Right. But I, I think my, my main point is that the reason we have a government that isn't working is because we don't have that ability to to withdraw that consent. Um, I mean, yes, you, you're going to have greed and corruption and people with all these profit motives who want to do really evil things. You're going to have that whether you have government or not. Um, you, you're going to have like that's that's human nature. A lot of libertarians like to say that, you know, oh, uh, you know, people are inherently good. I, I say that's bullshit. There are a lot of bad people out there with bad intentions and, and they want to do bad things. But the problem is when you create a government and, and you know, all these bad people see, hey, well, if I could just get into that government, I'll be untouchable. I'll be able to do whatever I want. That attracts power and corruption and they all go there. And once they're there, we have absolutely no ability to say we're not going to support that anymore. And, and so the biggest, the, the best negotiating chip you have in any negotiation is the ability to say no and walk away. Whether it's, whether it's a job, if you can say, if they're offering you something too low and you can say no and walk away, they're going to have to either raise their rates or you walk away. Um, with government, when they're doing something corrupt and evil, if you can say no and walk away and not give them money, because it's the same thing. Where does, where does government get all their money and power from? Us. Where would corporations get all their money and power from us? It's the same thing, but with a, with a private business or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you can still call it government if you wanted to, whatever entity that is, if you have the right to say, I don't like what you're doing, I'm not going to pay for it. Then you're going to dramatically change how that, how that system behaves because at the end of the day, yeah, they are greedy and they want that money. And they're going to say, okay, fine. We're going to stop doing these evil things because apparently People don't like that, and that's stopping us from getting our money. And and if they don't have the ability to say we're just going to rob everybody who 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 refuses, well, then that's that's the way they're going to go. Well, I think this might surprise you to hear, but um, I, I'm not. I, I actually think that we can pull that consent from them. What what my thoughts on this are is that government should be funded completely voluntarily. I, I don't believe that we should have coercive taxation. What I believe is that we 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 should, in our rational self-interest, be able to fund the things that would uh, allow the government to protect us. It would be in our rational uh, best interest to have courts to handle disputes, to have police to handle crimes that happen on the street, to have a military that can defend us for all the thing, reasons that we just talked about. Um, but that what you're talking about about being able to revoke that consent with voluntary funding, we would absolutely have that control. And so I, I think I think that's an area where you and I probably see very clearly eye to eye that uh, that taxation uh, in any coercive way that's forced uh, is problematic because um, it, you know because then you relinquish that control that you have. And as long as they're behaving in our best interest then we should be happy to volunteer our funds because especially if we limited the scope to those three things, courts, police, and military, all of a sudden you would have people set up, you know, whatever structure you want to set up, whether it's a subscription base, uh, you know, um, fee that you would pay in order to support the government and the endeavors that they're doing that actually protect your rights. People would line up to pay for that. I believe as long as we educate them on the, on, on the value of protecting individual rights. 
So yeah, quick actually, follow-up question on that, Sean. Um, so you're talking about like, you know, voluntarily funding the, 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 the minarchist government, correct? So yeah. is, is it the fund? So are the funds being utilized in the, the same way that they are now? So the funds are just being just like given from voluntarily from the people to the government and then the government just uses it how they see fit? Or is it like one of those things where people say, oh, well, I want my 500 bucks to go towards national defense, or I want my 500 bucks uh, to go towards this program or that program? Or is it just basically a large uh, monetary pool, and then the government just uses it how they see fit? Yeah, well, certainly there's there's different methods that you could that you could look at that would uh, be most efficient um, and, and, and effective. Uh, the, the method that you use to me is is less consequential than uh, than first convincing the public that that, that that the only role of government, the only role of government should be to protect its citizens. And then once you do that, then people volunteer. And here's the thing. If they don't pay, there's no consequence to that other than they're working against their rational self-interest unless the government's not working towards their rational self-interest. And so as far as what it would fund, all of the things that people, well, most of the things that people would really object to that our government does, you don't have to worry about because in the world that I'm uh, you know, envisioning, these are not things that the government would be responsible for fixing at all. Again, we're, we're talking about three simple things, courts, police, and military. That's it. Yeah. And I think so. I would actually look at that and say that's that's anarchy. Like you can call it government. You could call it a potato. You can call it whatever you want. Like to me, that's that's anarchy because it's completely voluntary whether or not I want to participate with that. But but one other key component, um, because like I said, being able to withdraw consent. Well, if you have a police force and you say, I want to withdraw consent because I don't like how this police force is operating but you have nowhere else to go, you still can't leave, right? Because, yeah, they might be really bad. They're shooting random people, but they're, they're still keeping my house safe at night, right? You have to be able to have competition. You have to ha be able to have some other place to go to. And so this is one of the things that, you know, they say the government has a monopoly on violence. If you can't say, like, so now, yeah, it's voluntary and I can stop paying the police if I want, but what if they want to retaliate against me? Which is which is basically what they do now, right? If you don't pay the IRS, they retaliate against you. Um, if you want to prevent that retaliation, you might want to hire another security firm that's going to provide you a little protection against that type of retaliation. Um, and if that type of that or that competing organization, which you could also call government, maybe you have government A, government B, they're both completely voluntary, whichever one you want to pay to protect you. Um, like maybe maybe that's the system and like i said i don't care if you call it government that's still anarchy to me because it's it's there as long as they're not um uh, violating your natural rights you know forcing you to pay for anything uh, that that you don't want to subscribe to or you don't want to buy um it, to me that's all fine the the most important thing is our human rights our right to choose our right to be able to to compete and, and all these other things yeah, I, I think we might be agreeing here, but I just want to clarify with this point is that when uh, so as far as having a competing agency with the police, the problem that 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 arises there is that like, where's the jurisdiction and who gives the uh, the authority to be able to do those things? And 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 now you have corporations that can write their own rules. Again, we need a standard in which that we operate. And that standard is protecting the rights of individuals. And, and the thing that I would worry about when we have competing agencies 
you know, we don't have to worry about the IRS because we, we've agreed that uh, taxes are coercive. We want to get rid of that. That's going to be voluntarily funded. If you don't pay your taxes, that's no big deal, uh, you know, because we're going to run such an efficient ship of only focusing on the things that protect your rights that you are going to be happy to give your money. This is the same way that people that are happy praising the Lord give their money to the church, right? When, when, you're, when you're happy with something, you give, the, you give your money gladly to that, right? And that's the kind of government that we should have. But the, but the point about monopoly of violence, this is where we might disagree, is that I hear this term a lot. And the, what like what is it we desire to have like, no, we need to diversify violence. Like, what, why would we diversify violence? You know, if, if I can't commit violence, like somehow that that's that that's an infringement. I think what we need to get into is the specifics of what kind of violence we're talking about. I think the initiation of force, regardless of who does it, is bad retaliatory force if somebody if somebody is going to shoot me or has shot at me i have the right to self defense regardless of whether i'm a police officer this already exists it's codified in law if somebody shoots at you you can shoot back at them right but the police coming to to uh you know to a scene of a crime and being able to do the same thing i don't call that a monopoly of force where i think that where 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 you might be um thinking that that it's forceful is when we when we talk about the bad laws that are on the books that agents of the government are performing we look at that and we say hey they're they're not protecting anybody's rights here they're initiating violence and in that regard I think you and I would agree that they should not be doing that. But you absolutely should have a force that can use retaliatory force when they need to. Because some people, when somebody initiates that force, you can't have a fucking nap if you don't have somebody willing to defend it, right? If somebody violates that nap, somebody's got to defend it. I think in your world, uh, you've envisioned it where like you have a bunch of companies running around doing it, maybe just lone wolves uh, solving the problem. In, in, in the universe that I'm thinking of is that you would have law enforcement agencies. And my preference would be get, getting rid of local police departments and letting the sheriffs do their job because at least sheriffs are elected officials and you can hold them more accountable. Yeah, I, totally, I definitely agree with that last part. Um, but I, I do want to say, you know, uh, and, and I think this is turning into more of a constructive conversation than a debate, but because um, we're finding that common ground and I think we're adding to it. But I think like, you know, in, in early civilizations, there was discussions of how do we organize in a fair way? And, and I think that's kind of the conversation we're having now because the, the, the perfect utopian society hasn't happened yet. And we're basically making proposals. Let's experiment in different ways and see, see what happens, see if, see if any of this works better. And I think keeping that open mind to say, hey, let's experiment with some of this stuff um, is, is a great idea. Um, but with that said, you said, you know, that there's going to be there's going to be these different agencies running around and, and you know, doing their thing. I, I think that's that's probably one of the most important points. They're not going to be running around. They're going to be agents of individuals. So right now, the police run around looking for crime. But when somebody's like when, when my alarms are going off and someone's breaking into my house, I would call the police or I would call a security agent and they would come and protect me. They wouldn't be patrolling my street looking for crimes or any of this stuff. Right. And if they shoot an intruder on my behalf, it's the same as if I shot the intruder because I hired them to do it. Right. So I think like um, we need to kind of get into this like philosophical discussion of, you know, it, 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 that seems that seems kind of normal, but it's not really it's not really normal like it's it's normal for you to defend yourself against an intruder but it's not normal 
for for you to have um, somebody else do it, like for you to say, hey, quick, I can't find my gun. Come to my house and shoot someone for me. Like that seems abnormal. But in the reality, that's that's kind of what we expect the police to do in that situation. Um, now, whether or not you want the police to investigate a crime, I've had I've had break ins at my house and someone stole a computer. The police come, they dust for fingerprints, they leave. Yeah, we'll let you know. They don't go looking for my computer. They're never going to find it. Um, but if if that computer was really, really, really important to me, I might pay a private investigator who's now working for me, who doesn't have a boss or a police chief or anything else to go do anything else. He's going to go find um, this this criminal. And it's the same thing. And I, I really hate to say this with um, with with murders and, and rapes and all these other things, because a, like a lot of people get offended by, it. oh, only the rich are going to get justice. That's how it happens now already. The rich get justice. If you live in a rich neighborhood, you probably have more um, more police resources that are being dedicated to find your missing children and and, and to, to solve your murders. If you live in a poor neighborhood, you're just not getting that. That's not going to happen. Um, and and if you have if you're well connected, you know, the mayor, you know, the chief of police. You're going to get your crime solved faster than if you're just some nobody who's like, hey, somebody, somebody, you know, hit and run. Now, the number of people they stop randomly, they might randomly find and solve some crimes, but that's a totally different story. The reality is we, we already live in a place where um, the rich get their crimes solved and the poor, even if they can crowdfund the money, cannot get their crimes solved because there is no there is like you can't just go to the police and say, OK, here's the money. Go solve the crime for me, which you could do with like something like a private investigator. So I think th these are some really important points. Yeah, it's going to be a lot different than what we see now. It's going to be an experiment. Um, but, you know, I, I think some people are expecting there's going to be some perfect system where everybody's happy. Everybody gets what they want. All crime goes away. I don't think that's realistic to believe in that. But what I think we should do is we should have a system where there are organizations that we can call to help um, to, to either prevent our rights from being violated or to help us seek some sort of um, restitution if they are violated and organizations that also don't run around at the same time violating other people's rights just by nature of their existence. Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think that you could... Um you could already today hire private investigators. This is not that, that that's not a concept that doesn't exist. You could you could do that today. Um, the issue is is what happens in terms of the handling of evidence and being able to uh, to bring somebody in for justice, right? Like investigating a crime is only one component of the justice system. We need to have, we need to be able to complete that cycle. And so ultimately, when you have competing agencies. Uh, if if they have different uh, you know dogma, different practices that they that they follow, and they're not following the same standard, then how are you going to ensure justice? Right? You you at the end of the day, you're going to need one arbiter of truth. We call that in the court systems a judge, right? You need somebody that's going to be able to decide innocent and guilt. And you could improve the processes. I think that you know we could go all day on the ways that the justice system fails us. But but ultimately, in order to be able to make sure that we're determining that innocent people are not going to jail, we're going to have to have a system that we bring them through that 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 is that is standardized that has a, that that has an oath that people take to be able to determine, you know, innocence and guilt. And there's a, there's a whole process that, that, uh, you know, that you have to follow. I mean, even when you don't read somebody, the Miranda rights, you know, they, they could get off. There's a lot of things that you have to consider. And I would worry about competing agencies, bumbling things 
and and then we get back to the same point that you and I would agree on is that the person that has more more money is going to be able to hire that better performing. I could only I could imagine it now. You'd have like Yelp reviews for the best security agency, and then the people with the most money. That's you know that's the five star expense, and you're going to go get that. And guess what? The person that doesn't have the means is not going to be able to get that, and they're going to get you know they're going to get some uh, you know uh, Paul Blart mall cop you know running after you know the criminals that are offending them, and so. I think that that's a big issue is at least with our system today, while imperfect as it is, at least poor people have some recourse to be able to say, hey, a crime was committed. I was raped. I was assaulted, whatever the case may be, uh, and be able to go and get their justice without having to worry about, uh, you know, what it's going to cost in order to get the get the right people involved. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of I kind of disagree that they wouldn't be able to get justice. Um but, you know, to your point about, you know, having one person, um, uh, you know, that that was actually fundamental. I mean, that's why we have juries, because one person can't be trusted. Um, the judge is not supposed to um, be, you know, determine that. And, yeah, they determine what the jury gets to see. But imagine like, OK, imagine for a second, um, you know, just you had two competing courts. We, we can go to this court. Let's say you have a defendant. We can go to this court. We can go to that court, whichever one you want to go to. You get to pick. Right. Um, you have two separate courts and the public understands there's two separate courts and they see cases coming out of one court and they see cases coming out of another court. You still have a judge. You still have a jury. Ultimately, the jury decides. But you understand the rules that that judges are are using in different courts. And at some point, people are going to they're, they're going to say, hey, uh, we don't like the rules that this judge is doing right now. We have that same thing. We have we have judges doing really bad. We have we have judges selling kids to to private prisons. We have judges putting innocent people into prison. We have we have prosecutors who are lying and hiding evidence. Um, I, you know, I, I think we're going back to the same conversation where we're saying like, yeah, there's going to be some some evil um, evil people with with bad policies. Um, and, and, you know, even even when you have a law that says you can't do this, we still have prosecutors and judges who are doing this. So I, I think, you know, yeah, it would be great if we had a system where we could write laws and everybody somehow would follow those. But we still have a system, no matter how many laws you write, people aren't going to follow them. And it doesn't matter if they're criminals outside of the system or whether they're, they're criminals inside the system who work for the government. People are going to break those rules. And, you know, when we're forced to participate in that, you know, we've, we've got to have some way to say, hey, that system is no good. Let's get rid of it. Um, one of the one of the things it says in the Declaration of, of the of in the, Dec <laughs> the Declaration of Independence is when uh, when a government when governments are instituted upon upon men to protect their rights. And when a government um, fails to meet those ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it to completely get rid of it. But we don't have a process to do that. And if we did that right now which courts would we use, right? Because there are no competing courts. So if we were to say, yeah, this government sucks, let's get rid of it. We get rid of all the courts. Oh, where'd the courts go? We don't have it. We, we don't have any, any competing thing to say, well, let's get rid of those courts because we know they're corrupt. And it might not be all courts, but some of them we know are really bad. Yeah, I, I, I will just have to agree to disagree. I don't believe that verdict shopping is going to solve uh, the problem of making society more just. I think uh, the, the way that we fix that is to reform the system that we have and to appoint the best judges that we can. Um, but but yeah, I don't think verdict shopping is going to solve the problem. Well, I think if you're worried about like, oh, well, I'm guilty as shit. I'm going to go to the court that lets everybody off. 
if people are going to know if that's what that court is doing and they're not going to stand for it, they're going to, they're going to make that, they're going to fix that. So, um, but you have that choice. That's, that's the thing, but okay. Let's agree to disagree. (laughs) Next question. Was this was like, this was like the first, the first question aside from the roads, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is good. I I like this. I think, I think people are able to formulate their own. So I'll just go, this, this is an experiment of mine to give people an ability to who, especially people who are coming into the party new or kind of uh, flirting with the idea of, of anarchy or minarchy and giving them the ability to formulate their own thoughts through both of your, uh, your all's uh, conversation, which is what it is in a debate or conversation, whatever you want to call it. So uh, it, it is great that, you know, it did run almost, 30 minutes for that that second question so it is good it's great um so i I do have a a few anchor call-ins we'll get to those in a little while i think uh we'll we'll go there i did have a very a very very good uh comment here i wanted to ask i thought it was great and now i can't find it that's fine um while, so, while you're looking, uh, I want to um, congratulate Sean Hickman on uh, being uh, Tom Queter's new fundraising captain. <laughs> My yes. condolences. That's, a, that's an awesome. <laughs> that's an awesome campaign to be working on. I'm gonna I'm gonna judge my job based on whether he wins or loses that race, and so no pressure. But uh, Tom, we're in this together. If you're listening, plug plug, oh, the, plug the thing. Can he plug the thing? Oh, he's he's here. He's yeah. The the thing I can. Pl- I can plug the thing. Uh, if you go to, oh, it's not on there. It's Tom for 52.com. It's T-O-M-F-4-5-2.com. Tom is running a race, which is funny because his feet don't work. Um, but he is running <laughs> He is running uh, for New York State Senate in the 52nd District, uh, for those who don't know. Um, hey, so hey, I guess... Uh, Bootleg, can we just ask uh, the listeners to do do a quick thing for Tom? Um, I'd like to see who's more generous, minarchists or anarchists. And so uh... if, they can, if they could go to Tom's website to donate uh, and then put in the notes uh, either anarchist or minarchist, I'd love to see the tallies to see which side is more generous. So for those of you listening, go to Tom's website. Uh, donate and leave a, sh- a small little note just indicating whether you are a minarchist or an anarchist. And uh, we'll find out. We'll find out uh, which society well is. Well played. That, I'll say that was that was clever. I'll, I'll give you points on that one. I'll actually add a point. And that's why he's right the chief now. of fundraising. Yeah. Um, so, we'll, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead. We'll do the anchor call-ins. I think some of these will will spur debate. Uh, we've got three of them as of right now. If you are looking to want to add your own call-in, go to anchor.fm slash libertarian. You can leave your very own call-in for either Dan or Sean, or if you just want to scream at the world. Uh, I don't screen any of these. They're coming in live. So, Uh-oh. uh, here we go. Your fist at the sky. <laughs> we, we, yeah. All right, so the first one is from a Jimmy Lee. Oh, nice. My boy. Hey, 
Are we supposed to hear it? Do you not hear it? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, here, I'll do this real quick. I will change my audio so I will have the. I was just sure if you were gonna like re- repeat it to us, and I was like, no, that's gonna that's gonna. That would be weird. Translation. <laughs> so Jimmy says. Yeah, it would it would be a little weird if I just uh, reread the question to you. So let's see. Can can y'all hear me now? Yep. That didn't seem super confident. Oh, but all right, so who I hear you louder we, than I did before. I don't hear the we'll try it again. Hey, welcome both gladiators. Jimmy Lee here. Uh, not a real libertarian podcast. Question for both of you. So back when this whole country kind of started forming and the lobbyists got involved because they were, it was intended that they would our politicians would not write bad laws. Because Businesses and private entities need some kind of protection against the government from writing bad laws. However, now those lobbyists now work directly with the government and our elected officials and write the laws that benefit them. So in a anarchist world or in an anarchist world, what would you do to protect the businesses and private entities from bad laws, but still not have what we have today? Thank you. I can take that first if you want me to. Yeah, go for it. Um, Well, in the world that I envision, we wouldn't have uh, the government involved in telling businesses what they should or should not do. And if businesses should harm people or commit fraud, we would have courts that would address those things. And so you would have a process for dealing with those things, but you don't need laws to tell businesses how to run. I uh, I, uh, I agree agree a lot with that. A lot with that. Um, um getting feedback, feedback from someone. Um, um I'd keep going, but I like it's gonna like melt my brain. <laughs> um so um yeah, so how would you stop lobbyists? Well, um, okay, what what is a lobbyist? A lot there's a business who wants to do a thing, and a lobbyist is someone who who goes to the government and says, I don't like what that business is doing. They're 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 competing with me and taking my business away. I want to stop them. Right. Or I want to make sure that everybody has to buy my product in in some manipulative way. Um, Right now we have a government and everybody kind of looks to the government as the sovereign king of the land and the government makes the rules and and the law is the the law is the law. Right. Um, Imagine there's no like government that everybody looked up to like that. Um, You just have like, you know, businesses doing their thing. And then imagine you have some lobbying type organization that comes around and starts telling you, hey, you're not allowed to do that. What are people going to say? This is no longer the the apex government that that we have now where everybody's just like, well, the government said so. This is now just some fucking asshole from some fucking corporation. And it's like, hey, fuck off, guy. I don't know who you are. I don't have to follow your rules. Now, of course, like people are, oh, but then people are going to run around committing murder. If you commit murder, someone else is going to, they're going to retaliate. There's, there's reasons why you don't want to just run around murdering people, right? But at the same time, you don't want to run around telling, hey, we're going to shut your business down because what's going to happen? The community is going to say, we like this business. We're going to help protect this business. Um, or that business is going to hire security to protect them. Um, th- there are absolutely ways to make that happen. But the, the the point is you don't have this one central body writing these laws, this central body that's easily corruptible as everybody else, um, that everybody now has to follow. We can't hear you. 
<laughs> Sorry. I know I, I'm agreeing. With and you. I was I, the one with sound issues. No, I think we get I think we get to the same spot with uh, with both of our systems when it comes to uh business. My audio is now all jacked up, but I will play the next I will play the next one uh, because tech difficulties will not stop this. So here we go. This next one is from a Connie Keller and then we've got a Smokey McBlunts following hers. Hi guys, Liberty Shamrocker here. Just calling with a question actually for the entire panel. How would you feel about a situation where we would have uh, something similar to the French Foreign Legion, where you know you would have paid contractors and they could accomplish uh, what we're looking to do to protect our borders? Thank you. You want to take that first, Dan? Sure. Um, I, I mean, I guess the first question is protect our borders from what? Um, when, when there's, there's a lot of reasons why people want to protect borders that are completely illegitimate. And, you know, there's, there's this, a lot of, a lot of libertarians will say, oh, well, the United States is private property. And so blah, 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 somebody can't enter. Well, my house is my private property. So if there's somebody in Mexico and I want to invite them into my home, why, why is that not allowed? Because they have to cross your imaginary line that like, it's not even technically your, your it's not even technically private because anybody from the United States can, can walk around there. Um, so, so for that, we don't need protection from that, right? That's protection from people breaking into your house. If they get that far. Um, now, if you're talking about like some invasion of, 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 you know, people coming in and, and stealing land and doing all this stuff, um, <clears throat> colonization, um, then yeah, that's, that could be a legitimate concern, but at the same time, you know, the, it, it really comes down to the people and whether or not they want to defend against that. Right. If you're, if, if I'm being forced to defend against an invasion and I look at it and I'm like, you know what, that doesn't really look like an invasion to me. Those people don't look like they're here to like commit crimes against people. It doesn't look like they're here to like steal the land and, and, and you know, install their government or any of this stuff. If that's the way I see it, I don't want to give money to some military that's, that's going to secure the border. Right. Um, but in a, in a system of government, then I am going to be forced to do that. So, um, I think what, what I would like to see is a system where, um, we all, we all train to protect ourselves and to know that if a big enough threat ever comes along, we'll organize. And, and there are, there are militias. I, I, I trained with a militia in Texas actually, because in uh, different States vary on the rules, but Texas is very friendly towards local militias training and they work with the sheriff and everything else. Um, and they're real cool people. And if shit hits the fan, they're ready to get together and they got lots of, lots of guns and ammo stashed away and, and they'll, they'll form a military to, 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 for defense only key, 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 uh, key point right there for defense only, not for offense. So I, I think, you know, we need to understand first, what is the actual threat and when does, when do we need to actually defend against it? Wow. Now we're going to. We're going to agree on this one. So this, You're this, not a real libertarian because you'd be saying I'm full of shit and we need to close the borders. This, yeah, this isn't fun at all. Um, we agree. Um, yeah, I, I agree that the French Foreign Legion model would, would look a lot like what we what we have with well-organized militias, which is uh, protected within the Second Amendment. So absolutely, uh, we could do that. I also think that, uh, that the border states are the ones that are best equipped 
to make decisions on what a threat might be at their border. I I, I don't want uh, you know politicians that are in Washington or uh, you know were sent there from you know places like Nebraska. Uh, no offense to anybody from Nebraska, but if you don't understand what's going on at the border, you probably shouldn't be making policies about it. Uh, so I would trust that the border states would have a better idea of what's going on. Uh, the other thing that I like to add is that. Um, you know, when we talk about immigration, there's a lot of different ideas that have infiltrated the Libertarian Party around immigration. Uh, I there was a great debate between uh, Dave Smith and uh, and Spike Cohen about some nuanced uh, language, um, and and I think the one point that that's really um, would like <laughs> Nebraska. Oh my god, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, the uh, you distracted me, Nate. Uh, yeah. So what I what I would like to just uh, see is that we stop using language uh, of calling people illegal. Um, you know, people are people. Uh, behavior can be deemed illegal. And so if we clearly define what is legal and what isn't illegal, uh, then we can then we can respond to that. If somebody's not providing a threat, like like Dan said, what the hell is the harm? Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's a lot more discussion that we need. We, we could have a whole separate debate on immigration, but I think Dan and I would probably agree. So it's um, it, it wouldn't be that fun. We'd, better, we'd have to go find people to disagree with in order to make it spicy. I will add one very obvious point that hasn't been brought up yet is that private military contractors do exist. And I'm not talking about the, 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 the companies that manufacture equipment for the DOD. I'm, I'm referring to the companies such as Blackwater. I use Blackwater because that's one of the most commonly known names, especially after the uh, 2014, scan, uh, 2014 scandal, whenever it was. Um, where, where it had become public knowledge that contractors were actually doing really horrific things in Afghanistan and Iraq, such as rape rallies, uh, just blatant murders, stuff like that. But these contracting companies do exist. Another really common one that people don't know still exists is the Pinkertons. Um, if you watch a lot of Westerns, you'll you'll hear the word Pinkerton a lot. Um, these, these organizations still do exist. One thing where I was going to bring it up earlier is... I would say 90% of all security that is provided for cargo ships is provided by these contracting companies. So these are people who are prior military service who are like, look, I can't, I can't recoup with civilian life. I hate these people. They're killing me. Like they're, they're making me want to kill myself. That's a whole other thing. Anyways, these companies actually do exist. So they, the Pinkertons actually specialize in personalized security. Um, the, their Blackwater, which is now, uh, Academy or a triple canopy, whatever they rebranded themselves as after, after the, uh, the, the scandal, um, these organizations are still guns for hire, similar to how the French foreign legion operated. So you, you can have the militia that exists as a non-paying or it, some militias actually do pay their people. They, they provide services to their community. They receive, they receive payment and then they pay their people. But these organizations do exist where, you know, if a town was like, look, you know, we're worried about this Mexican cartel that introduces uh, aggressive vegetation species, something, I don't know, something stupid, like, and it's killing all of our dogs. Like, it only kills dogs, and they're bringing this thing over. They hate dogs, whatever. Anyway, something stupid. They could actually hire this, these firms to provide security. 
So that 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 I just wanted to introduce that that kind of structure already exists. They're primarily used by the federal government or banks or whatever, but they are available, especially if we reduce the size of government or abolish it completely, would be available to be bought out by the general public. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, too, because like a lot of um, I mean, like there's there's a question. Why would the government ever hire those agencies? And and um, uh, what I see a lot of government doing is when the government's not allowed to do something because the Constitution prohibit it, prohibits it, they hire corporations and let them do it instead. And meanwhile, somebody else is getting rich off of it. But they did the same thing with the Federal Reserve. They're not allowed to print paper money um, the, the way that we have. I mean, uh, they I guess they probably could print paper money as long as it's backed by gold or silver, but they can't do it the way that they're doing it now. And so they let the Federal Reserve do it and they just is borrow the money um, instead of making it. Um, they, they these are these are loopholes that they that they find by hiring, you know, hiring a corporation and letting the corporation. Now, if the corporation's invading another country, well, that's technically out of the jurisdiction of the United States to do anything about it because it's it's not the U.S. military that's doing it. Um, it's a corporation and the U S has no jurisdiction about what a corporation is doing in another country, um, to some degree. So, um, I, I think that alone is a, is a, is a, I mean, yeah, but corporations, yay. Yeah. I, I don't know even know what to say other than like, I, I I'm aware that they exist. Uh, I think as long as they're playing by a, a rule book that, um, respects individual rights and doesn't initiate force and is there to simply, provide retaliatory force, then I don't see a problem with that. Um, I, I think ultimately uh, what, what we, what we need to think about though, is, is who gets to write their, you know, their rules of engagement. And if they're playing from a different playbook that doesn't respect uh, the initiation of force rules, then I think that would be problematic. But if they do, then, um, you know, I, I, I don't see how that was really any different than, uh, than a militia would be. Yeah, they actually don't operate by the same rules that the U.S. military does. That's why they get used for certain sorts of operations. Uh, we're getting into like a, a small Afghan military history here, but uh, they they actually get used for a lot of operations that the U.S. military would deem a violation of international treaty because essentially they can throw these people in there. And then if they do something bad, other nations will be like, oh, well, these Americans, you need to do something about it. And then the DOD will be like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll punish them. And they'll be like, oh, by the way, we can't because they're not military. They're not military uh, employees and they're not uh, military enlisted or officers. So we can't court martial them. So uh, I guess we'll just let them go and continue to pay them uh, as uh, Mr. Just Because says to 125000 a year. There are operators that just sit on cargo ships for 90 grand for like three months. Um, but we do have another call in. Uh, it is from Smokey McBlunts, which is a fantastic name. So, hello, this is Smokey McBlunts with the Blunt Freedom Show, and I have a question for the anarchist and the minarchist. I would like to know what are your guys' ideas each of how we get rid of the current government to even get to the position you would like it to be in. Uh, can each of them answer that question separately, please? Thank you. 
can we can we answer at the same time? <laughs> um, go you want to go first, or I, I can not, take this one. Not go for it. This one's All easy. Right. Um, I I honestly believe that the government that we have is a reflection of what people want. Um, when the government grows, it's because people want the government to grow. And yeah, a lot of times it's because they're misled and they think big, bigger government's going to solve their problems. Um, they believe political lies and all this other stuff. But whatever the case, ultimately, there's a shit ton more of us than there are of them. And we're allowing them to grow. We're even a lot of us are asking for them to grow. And so in order to transition into any system, people need to be aware of what's going on and they need to be open to the idea and want to get into that other system. If I were to just like be able to snap my fingers and say like, okay, it's all anarchy now. And I have like my perfect utopia. If I don't have that, that I was just talking about, and I don't have the will of the people on board with me, I'm going to have basically 300 something million Americans who are like, oh, this sucks. We need a government. And they're going to go back and create the same thing. I just snap my fingers to get rid of. So ultimately we have to change the understanding of the people to want to be able to be free or to, to, they want to be able to, to take responsibility for their own lives. They want to understand that, you know, they shouldn't rely on a government and they should rely on themselves and their families and their communities for, for protection and, and all these other things. Um, and once we get to that understanding, then we can start saying, okay, look, we can start getting rid of some of these systems or changing some of these systems um, it would probably start with getting, you know, cutting the fat, getting rid of the useless stuff like the Federal Department of Education um, that doesn't get rid of the schools that just gets rid of a big, wasteful organization. Um, and then you go a little bit further. And once people are like, hey, you know what? That wasn't so bad. Let's get rid of some more agencies. And then we start looking at the ones that are like, you know, really important, like the courts and police and everything. And we say, OK, how do we open this up to um, to competition and, and to change and, and things like that? And once we once we get to those conversations and all of the other organizations are out of the way, um, then we can start making real changes there. So I, I think I think the, the it's a big transition, but it ultimately comes down to people have to want the change. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the people wanting the change is also going to require that uh, the culture gets uh, you know, taught about the importance of individual rights. And what we really need is for more libertarians to get into academia to help teach this stuff and to get into and, and really, uh, you know, invade the culture. One, one of the things that uh, that I think would be effective and, you know, a cheap plug for um, Jack Casey, who's an author. Um, he's a flat earther, too, so you can hate him for that. But he is a good author. And uh, he's weaving like libertarian principles into uh, into the novels that he writes. And so uh, if if we look at ways that we can just educate people, what we really need is an age of enlightenment 2.0 that gets people to understand uh, what their natural rights are and get them willing to want to fight to defend them. And we're going to have to get a large number of people on board with that. The practical steps that you could do, though, now are supporting groups that do protect constitutional rights. Uh, Gun Owners of America uh, is great for Second Amendment. Fuck the NRA. Um, And if you if you look at things like uh, the Tenth Amendment Center, Tenth Amendment is a great place to start. Uh, You know, if you could go back and read the Anti-Federalist Papers and understand the importance of, uh, you know, states rights. And really understand why, uh, you know, having this centralized government, I think 
everybody listening to this call understands that, but being able to teach other people why states' rights are so important and how a federal government that's so far removed from the people, it's just, they, they have a knowledge problem. They have a, uh, a the inability to be able to make decisions locally, but yet they try to do it. And the 10th Amendment Center is really trying to reinforce uh, the value of the 10th Amendment. And I think that's a great starting point of being able to push the decentralization of power. Uh, this is a long game. This thing's not going to get fixed overnight. Um, you know, Dan and I have got different views about where we think that ultimately it would land best to protect people's rights. But the reality is, is that the journey, we're on the same journey. We're in the same car heading down the same road. Uh, you know, we've just got different exits that we're eyeballing, but, um, those exits are far down the road and the work that we need to do to get to either of those destinations, uh, is going to, is going to require all the anarchists, all the minarchists and uh, expanding into anybody that really agrees that that your natural rights are worth defending. We need to get you on board, and we need to get you registered for the party. We need to get you uh, mobilized. We need you to we need you to be involved. And uh, every if everybody just hears that message, spreads that message, we could do it. But it's gonna it's not gonna happen overnight. I want to you, you you inspired so many more thoughts with me, but I, I just want to throw these two out there. Um, the Ninth Amendment also is amazing, especially when you talk about people learning and understanding their rights. Um, but also another another little thing that you can do to just start shrinking the government a little is stop paying your income taxes. And if you go to taxationstuff.info, there's actually a free booklet that you can get that will that will get you on the guide i don't pay income tax i know a lot of people who don't pay income tax also the irs agrees with us that we don't owe them anything um it's a long story i won't get into but most americans don't need to pay the income tax and they legally don't have to pay it you don't have to have them withholding money from your paycheck there is a way out um so so head over to taxationstuff.info and get that and uh and i'm available to answer questions and and i can introduce you to people who can help make sure that you actually stop paying the income tax Starve the beast. <laughs> so I just refreshed very recently uh, my Anchor app, and we have two more. These will be the last two that we take, if you gentlemen are fine with taking them. Uh, I can do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, who is so it? We've got, Somebody I don't like. Uh, one of them is from Sean Hickman. Um <laughs> There's one that says Grave Dwellers Podcast and then Henry Dorn. Oh, let's do it. So we'll go with uh, Grave Dwellers first because that's a fan-fucking-tastic name, by the way. So, Hey, guys. Host of Rise to Liberty podcast here, Jacob Johnson. So I just wanted to know what the minarchists and anarchists are feeling about calling police on, you know, homeless or the drug addicts in parks. Uh, one of the controversial topics that had come up in uh, Liberty Twitter, wanted to get your guys' takes on it. Enjoying the show. Thanks, guys. You want to take that one first? This one, <laughs> sure. This is a loaded one. Yeah, well, I was I was in the middle of that one because I actually called somebody out for saying he wanted to call the police on that. Um, look, there's there's I actually I get a lot of shit from this because because I have to side with the left on on some really important issues, especially when it comes to homelessness, because 
um, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of the right likes to say, oh, they should just get a job like everybody else. And the way I see that is like, no, that's that's forcing them to participate in a system that they might not want to. The reality is, um, you know, you can look at a homeless person and say, oh, well, they just didn't do too well in life. But the reality is they're being oppressed. Um, they can't just be. I mean, think about it. Tens of thousands of years ago, there were humans wandering the earth and they didn't have to worry about paying rent. They had to worry about building their own shelter and finding their own food. And that was it, right? They didn't have to ask for permission from a government to say, well, can I eat that? Can I live there? Can I build a shelter over here? And so the government has basically made it illegal to be homeless. And so these people who are homeless and have no place to go, they go to a public park, which is a park that is public, which means it's available for anybody to use, just not if you're homeless. And so people, they don't want that there. They say, oh, well, I've got my kids and there's a playground and they should be able to play on the playground. Well, what gives your kids more of a right to play on the on, on this, this piece of public land? What gives your kids more of a right to be there than some homeless person who doesn't have anywhere else to go? What gives you that right? Because you pay your taxes? How do you know this guy didn't pay? Maybe he was paying taxes um, to build that and then he lost his job and you just moved into town and you haven't paid any taxes to build that very that very sand lot or whatever it is. So, and you know, we don't want to nitpick and get into like, oh, I paid for it. And, and therefore I have more like, cause that's stupid. You're going to get into bullshit arguments and all this other stuff. We understand that it's public. It's available to everybody. And there are some very unfortunate circumstances. The police should not be going around cutting people's tents up, um, um, arresting them, putting them in jail, which although, Hey, you get free shelter for a night and some food. Some people are happy to do that. Um, but we should not be calling the police on people for this shit and like and police get abused for like all kinds of stuff oh they're having a barbecue at my pool i'm calling the police their music's too loud i'm gonna call them and someone gets shot or like you know something gets escalated like we have to stop doing that we have to learn to like just knock on the neighbor's door and say hey guys you know i'm cool like you guys are having a party but can you just turn it down a little bit you know let's and most of the times that fucking works you don't have to call the police yeah sorry no Good points. Um, I would, I would, I would also say that I uh, definitely think that the comment of of calling the police on the homeless was pretty dumb. Um, but the reason the reason why uh, we should have more empathy is we we should look at the the root causes of why people are homeless. Uh, when we look at the homeless population and we look at the veterans that we have that that are uh, that are homeless, again, it goes back to the earlier conversation about. Uh, you know, when our foreign policy needs to change, we're we're creating a lot of situations where we're putting people in, in, in situations where when they come home, uh, they're dealing with trauma, trauma that was completely avoidable. Right. When, when, when we when we are going through that, got that kind of trauma over, you know, just, uh, you know, exploration and adventurism in, in foreign lands, it, it, the, the foreign policy has to change. Uh, we need to have less homeless vets because we shouldn't have that many people that are that that are uh, suffering from the from the type of trauma that they're suffering from. The other thing is what we do with drug laws. We uh, there's we we make certain substances illegal that would be safer for treating things like anxiety and depression. There's a lot of mental illness that goes on uh, with homeless people, and yet 
you know, uh, substances like psilocybin, you know, we can't even make the SSRI drugs that would be safer, right, than, than the stuff that we have today, because we have these stupid hangups about one substance is bad, another substance is good. And then the final thing is just the war on drugs in general. We've stigmatized the idea of somebody making a choice to do uh, to do drugs. And then when somebody wants to get help, they don't want to go and get the help because they know that it, we have this punitive look at people that take drugs. And so if we looked at it less punitively and, and looked at it with more empathy and said, hey, look, you know, uh, instead of spending money on enforcing uh, drug laws and throwing people in jail, what if what if that those same resources were uh, were invested in, in making sure that people that wanted help could be pointed in the right direction? I think that uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of laws that we could change that would reduce homelessness and that we wouldn't have people making stupid tweets about what to do with homeless people. I think I think we would make a really great team, actually, because um, you, you got to the point about like, yeah, we have to look at like, what is the cause of homelessness? And I actually started an organization to do just that. Um, of course, I always blame the government for it, but um, rentfreeamerica.org and and we're coming up with solutions for it. And like and, you know, not just the left ideas about the the rent is too high, but the fact that we actually have homelessness and where it comes from, all these taxes and government programs that contribute to that. Um so and that's that's we're always learning and adding more things that we can put on there. But but that's that's a really great platform because I'm honestly sick of hearing libertarians acting like, you know, the 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 anti left right who's who's just like, oh, those people are worthless. So let's, let's, no, like we have to understand, like the, they didn't fall on bad circumstances. Like we're all oppressed. We're like we're still doing good despite being oppressed but we're all being oppressed by government and we need to that is something we absolutely need to stop yeah and i do want to say i do appreciate uh the comment about uh homeless vets it is a real issue um i am an anarchist and i don't think the government should pay anyone for anything but i do believe strongly that if the government breaks something uh, they are holistically responsible for it and I believe that homeless vets are something that the government broke because they did. Uh, the majority of homeless vets are combat vets or prior combat vets who were unable to reassimilate into civilian life. It Homelessness is, and I will say this, homelessness is very equivocable to um, field trainings or combat for certain people, um, especially like Vietnam vets. A lot of it was sleeping out in the trees, sleeping or like under the trees, sleeping in ditches, whatever. Homelessness is associated with them a lot closer to what they're used to opposed to uh, civilian life. And there's no real transition when you're coming out back into civilian life. And it is, it is a real issue. The government doesn't give a shit. They never have, they never will, which is heartbreaking because these are people that gave everything they had and then more and continue to give. So um, I do have this last one here. Uh, I did. Where was it? Uh, yes. Blunt freedom. You did miss your own question. That is your fault. Uh, but if you'd like to, you can listen to it on the audio version later on all these platforms. Boom. Shameless plug. So there you go. So we've got this last one from Henry Dorn. And then we'll do uh, closing remarks. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. 
Hey, this is Henry. Um, I want to ask a question to Dan. Um, so what I'm getting at, the way that I look at, um, you know, an, an anarchist uh, society versus a society that has a government is that um, an anarchist society has no actualized standard. Um, it's kind of based on the agreement of society as a whole. Um, that we agree that this is the standard just because we agree it is. Uh, there's no actual thing that we're referring to. There's no ob objective thing we can prove and demonstrate that this should be a standard. It's just kind of the philosophy that we all agree on, which opens the doors to horrendous all type, horrendous things, um, which kind of Dan admitted uh, a little bit in the uh, the debate. Now, in reference or in contrast to a proper government, I mean, there's an actualized thing that you can refer to that outlines the proper procedures of what the government can and cannot do. And if the government does devolve into some type of uh, tyrannical state, then that's not a problem of the government. That's more rather a problem of the people involved in the government. So how, so Dan, how do you respond to that? Okay, there's, there's a lot of things there. Um, so it's not a problem of the government. It's a problem of the people in the government. Um, I would say they're the same thing um, because you you have a system. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I knew this guy. Uh, he he lived in my apartment building when I was like 20 something. And he was he was into like some small time thievery and stuff like that. Um, and, and he'd always get caught. But his mom was a cop. So every time he got caught, she would just, you know, make the call. And, and he'd get let go, slap on the wrist, no jail time, no criminal history, nothing, right? Um, he escalated. He, he started stealing cars. Um, I, I left town, and a couple of years later, I was just listening to the radio. I was back in town to, to visit the family. And I heard this story about this guy who broke into a house, robbed the house, and he thought it was empty, but there was a 13-year-old girl who was there alone. Um, and he decided to to kidnap her and rape her and do all these horrible things. Um, and then I heard the name and I was like, why does that name sound really familiar? It was that guy that I knew. And the people on the radio, you know, it's like a talk show. And they're like, how could how could somebody think they could do this and get away with it? I'll tell you exactly why. Because his mom was a cop and he was used to doing all these really bad things and getting away with it. And this is this is like when when you have a job and you work for an organization that's completely unaccountable, people like to push things a little bit further and see how far they can go. Oh, well, I was able to steal twenty dollars out of the cash register while I was working for X, Y, Z government agency. Oh, I was able to throw a, a, a party for the IRS that cost ten thousand dollars a head at the taxpayer's expense. That was a real thing. Or was it ten thousand dollars for muffins or something? I don't know. Um, they. they they start going, hey, and you know what? It never came back on us. Let's push it further next time. That's the mentality that people have, especially when they're working for the government. So it's you can say, yes, it is a problem of those people, but that problem is basically being um, um, supported by the system itself and by the lack of transparency and, and the lack of accountability that they have. Um, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to think back to what some of those, what were some of those earlier points that he brought up? I don't even remember. Do you want me to replay it? Should I just end it there? <laughs> if you want, I'll replay it. It's only 55 yeah, seconds it. long. Go for it. Just play the first half. Hey, this is Henry. Um, I want to ask a question to Dan. Um, so what I'm getting at, the way that I look at, um, you know, an, an anarchist uh, society versus a society that has a government is that um, an anarchist society has no actualized standard. Um, it's kind of based on the agreement of society as a whole. Um, yeah, let me let me let me take it from there. So um, so, yeah, there's no actualized standard, right? You don't have like a central body who gets to decide, you know, oh, this is this is what the standard is going to be. Um, that That's what he's saying. But the reality is that that's not necessarily true. 
Um, there are plenty of organizations throughout the world that set standards that don't have anything to do with government. Um, there's, there's ISO, there's, um, uh, what is it? The, um, the, the UL organization, um, uh, I forgot what it stands for, but it's like, it's, they, they set standards for all of the electronics and they, they said, and so like, you know, yeah, if you, if you create a device and you want to get the UL stamp on it, um, you can't get that UL stamp unless you meet their standards. That's not a government standard. That's a private organization. And why do you want that stamp? Well, a lot of stores will say, well, we don't want to sell things that aren't safe. So if it doesn't have that UL stamp on it, we're not going to sell it. Um, and so this is this is a perfect example of, you know, whether it's a private organization or things like ISO or like, um, you know, open source uh, software organizations that come up with standardized protocols, HTML, HTTP, all the ways that like your computer communicates with the Internet and sends data back and forth and how you how it how it transforms the data and packages it and talks to each other so that so that everybody's laptop can talk to the same website in the same way. There's no government enforcing that. That's a central body of a bunch of people coming together from different groups, different different browser authors, different web authors, different engineers from all over the world. And they make proposals and they decide what's best and then they set the standard. Now, if I were to make a new web browser today, nobody's forcing me to adhere to any of those standards. I could do whatever I want, but it's not going to work with the other stuff that's out there. I might have some special reason for doing that, but it's it's... It's, it's not going to be a mainstream concept um, because, you know, people are going to look at it and be like, that's not good for me. So when you have a standard that people want, right. And what do people want? They want good things. They don't want to waste their money on shit that doesn't work. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to like, um, you know, go to a movie theater where like the staff is going to treat them like shit um, or murder them. Or like, you know, you don't want to hire like a cell phone company that's going to come to your house and murder you if you're late on your bill. Right. Like, like, it, like so so society itself will set these standards in the same way that government has it's just that we don't have the government now a a a small group of of corrupt individuals protected by a shroud of secrecy who are able to say yeah um um private corporation give me an extra 10 million dollars into my private offshore account and I'll pass whatever law you want that gives you extra protection so you can violate people's rights and steal from them and rip them off and do all that stuff and you'll be safe so um, so yeah, I get it. And like I said before, neither system might be perfect. There's still going to be bad shit that happens in either system. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's, you know, which one's going to be better for you. I say the one that actually values your, your individual freedom and your personal rights. Well, with that, I'm going to ask each of you gentlemen, if you would like to give your uh, closing remarks, any final thoughts you might have, uh, why you believe uh, minarchy is status light and anarchy is best. I, I did have to get that dig in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, go ahead and give your final remarks, please. Oh, well, actually, we'll go ahead and start with Sean, too, uh, since right. uh, Dan just answered that last uh, anchor call. Yeah, so... I, I think I would just finish with um, having the standard that uh, that was just described in the last phone call. I think it's important. And I think that the standard that I would hope that we could agree upon is that of respecting individual rights. Um, and And when we look at those rights, like what do those rights include? And one of the things that worries me about anarchy is the roots of anarchy. If you look at you know, Proudhon and and uh, and even through the tradition of like 
uh, Bukchen. There's there's a left leaning anarchy that um, has a fundamental difference between uh, the anarchists that tend to uh, that identify as ANCAPs here in the U.S. And that fundamental difference is one respects property rights, one does not respect property rights. And so when you have competing standards about rights, um, and, and then you and and then I I would also say that uh, with anarchy you would have less of a uh, of an apparatus to defend those rights. So in my opinion, you, you, the, the rights are what we need to focus on. We need to agree upon those. We need to agree on things like property rights. We need to agree on things uh, like civil liberties. We need to agree that you should. Uh, I, I think if we took it back to like uh, John Stuart Mill, the harm principle, right? Libertarians like to use the nap. Uh, I think you know, John Stuart Mill's harm principle is perfectly simplistic in the fact that uh, you, you know you're free to do what you want to do, provided that you don't harm other people. The problem that I see with 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 uh, within the the uh, the umbrella of anarchy is that you have people with these competing value systems, and what what is a violation of the nap? If 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 one if one anarchist believes that owning property is uh you know is, is a natural right and the other believes that property is theft, you have competing standards and you which one are you going to defend? You're going to then hire this uh, security agency or that security agency to defend these competing standards. I don't understand how we could organize a society that way. We need to agree upon the standard and then most importantly, we need to do whatever is best. Whether it's government, whether it's something else, that may, you know, you know, if we create a bunch of robots that can police us, whatever the case may be, we need to have a focus on protecting those rights. That is what is most critical. I don't care if you call it corporation. I don't care if you call it government. In my preference, we would have a limited government that would that would do three things. We would have courts, we would have law enforcement, and we would have a military. And all they are responsible for is the agreement of those rights and the protection of those rights. And they do it in a way that is not compromised by other value systems. We need to have a value system that respects those rights and those rights over all else. I'll land there. Man, we, we should have started the show here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I'm, I'm going to have to rebut. So, so I'm going to expect it, that you're going to rebut my rebut, but, um, but, um. All right. So I, I want to say this. First of all, even when you have a government, you have people who disagree on what rights are. I, for example, believe that smoking weed is a human right. And actually, a majority of Americans, to some degree, believe that it is. But even though we have a majority, there are people who are being taken to a court, put in front of a jury, a jury that contains people who likely a majority of them might also believe that smoking weed is a human right, which also means possession or growing or whatever else this person is charged with. But they're being told by that one judge, just the one judge to say, well, it doesn't matter what your personal beliefs are. This is the law. And your job is to determine whether or not they broke the law, not to determine whether or not they're guilty, which if you look at the historical word of guilty, it doesn't mean did you break a law? It means are did you commit a sin? Right. Is it a sin to break a law? Well, Rosa Parks would would disagree that it's a sin to break a law. Right. Um, and so you have this jury mechanism, but the jury's not even being effective right now because the government has figured out a way to create a loophole around it. Oh, you're, you're just here to determine the facts. 
and whether or not they broke the law, not whether or not they're guilty, which is completely different to the way it used to work, right? So you, you still have this, this system where not everybody agrees on what people's rights are, and that's why you put it in front of a jury. You might, you still have people who, who today, maybe they're not anarchists. Um, they, they're not ANCOMs or anything else. They just, they just don't believe that, you know, somebody should be able to own three houses. That shouldn't be a right, right? Um, yeah, you can own one house. That's perfectly fine. That's property rights. That's reasonable, but you can't own three. And so now like, oh, well, I don't have a house to live in because somebody else owns three. That person is now saying I'm being oppressed and I'm having my rights violated because there's all these houses and this guy owns three of them and I can't go live in one of them because he's just keeping two of, two of them empty. And, and that's a difference in the understanding of rights. But there's a law that says, oh, no, this is what it is. So even though a majority of people may agree with what that law is, or as I just explained, uh, the majority may not even agree with the law, but even if a majority does, you still have people who are, who are going to feel oppressed by that. Um, and, and so I think this is like this is something we need to take into consideration. We're not always going to agree with each other. We're not always going to get along. But when you have a central government that makes a law, especially when they make a law for like one law that covers 350 million people, um, instead of like even even making those laws at the state level, like 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 national uh, cannabis prohibition is like some, you know, how many people did it take to pass that? Not a whole lot. If you look at the number of congressmen who actually had to vote on a bill relative to the 350 million people in America, not a whole lot of people actually voted to make that happen. And now all these other millions of people are forced to follow those laws and and their jury of their peers is coerced into putting them into jail. This is the system that we have with government. And if we had a different system, and I'm not saying get rid of courts or juries, but have have some open system where we could say, hey, that court is trash. Let's get rid of it. They're coercing the jurors. They're making the jurors believe things that they don't know their rights, which, you know, there are people now going to the government courts trying to inform them and the courts are arresting them for informing the jury. Um, this like we can't have a system like that. And, and you know, going back to that other point where I said the system is like this because nobody's doing anything about it. Like the 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 politicians and the judges and everybody else they're like hey um we arrested some people who were trying to inform our jurors um nobody did anything about it i guess we could do it again that could just be our thing and and now that's your thing that's your policy so um i'll, I'll wrap it up there if you want to rebut feel free um i oh wait let me throw this one this one thing out that i always want to end the show with to say that we have to understand we're not government property if you want to be free you have to be free in your own mind first you have to realize Every action you do, every decision you make is your own. And if you can't make decisions absent what the government is telling you to do or coercing you to do, and you're just afraid and all sorts of stuff, if you're not making that decision on your own, you are not free. Real freedom starts in your own mind. You have to make your own mind free. And then once you understand you're free and you see all the roadblocks in front of you that are created by the government, you can get together with other people who see those also as roadblocks and work to get rid of them. Um, that's that's how I want to end. But but let's go back to the rebuttal. I'm all out of order. Fuck it. Yeah, real real quick rebuttal. Uh, I I think that the 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 one thing I would throw back is that uh, when when we talk about the areas that government is broken and which we'd agreed on so many points about it being broken, I think what what where we disagree is on the solution. And so if we were to look at say a classroom and you had teachers that were failing, 
uh, it seems like the, the anarchist analogy of how to fix things would be instead of hiring better teachers and, and fixing the educators, we would just get rid of teachers. And, and, and like, I, I think the, the, the point would be, you know, we, we can acknowledge that the system's broken. We need to figure out the best solutions on, on, on moving forward. And again, the best solution for me is just one where we can all recognize the importance of individual rights, which you and I agree upon that that's very important. And then, and then where we disagree is what is the best way to protect those rights. And I think that that debate will continue to rage on. Unfortunately, like neither of neither of us are going to get our way anytime soon. And uh, and as long as we work together to continue to educate people on the the importance of those individual rights, I think that we'll we'll at least trend in the right direction. And uh, the biggest frustration that I have is that this isn't like you talk to people about individual rights and you expect it to go over really well. And for whatever reason, whether it's convenience, whether it's just what they're conditioned to, it doesn't resonate with everybody. And it's frustrating. But I think what we need is to keep out there messaging, hammering people. We need to push into academia, need to push into the culture. And, uh, you know, that's that's really all I got to say. But I really enjoyed this, Dan. Thank you for this. Yeah, same here. And I agreed with too much of that to like rebut the one or two little things that I did here. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah, fucking teamwork makes the dream work. Gentlemen, I appreciate both of you taking uh, about an hour and 40 minutes out of your night to do this. It, it is, I think, uh, a very important endeavor to argue both sides. Um, I think both of you have helped some people, if not um, a lot of people figure out where they fall in this argument. Um, but I think at the end of the night, there is one important thing that we all have to remember. We're all fighting anarchists and minarchists to reduce the size of government. Um, you know, there, there's an analogy that gets used. It's we're on a train right now. We're, we're heading towards a cliff. We got to take the train over and start going the other way. If you want to get off at, at minarchy, by all means do so. Uh, if you want to, drive the train all the way to anarchy that's your right to do so um i think uh, i think we do have to keep that in mind there's a lot of fighting over this i think it is it, it, it gets really bad i think there's a lot of people that fight both ways on it but what we've seen tonight is two people who are very adamant about their positions who have done extensive research and are very knowledgeable about their positions um and at no at no point in this did it ever get uncivil uh, did it ever come to name calling or any of the other shit you see on the Twitter sphere or whatever? Um, I'm ready. I'm ready for the win. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so we have the scores in. Uh, so there there was a surprising upset uh, in the tally that I took. Uh, Dan got four points. Sean Hickman got four points bootleg got 69 points so wow. but if you want to see one of the gladiators die or, or get swatted uh there i posted two separate links in the comments one is to the not a real pod uh, not a real libertarian podcast facebook group where there is a poll going that you can vote on who won the same poll is going on twitter under not a real uh, libertarian podcast you can go and vote to see who wins. Um, I may call the Pinkertons to deal with the loser. Uh, we'll see how that goes. 
because apparently when I mentioned Pinkertons, the entire podcast went super fucking silent. And I will now speak more on Pinkertons. So uh, that will be that will be my libertarian. Like I'll be the Pinkerton guy from now on. Uh, there's there's a third way to vote by going to tomfor22.com and donating and and putting in minarchy or anarchy when you donate. That could be the tiebreaker. Even though, see, even though we're even though we're like we're like battling to the death here, we're on the same team. We're both we're both pushing Tom Queter. Who neither of us knows if he's really a minarchist or an anarchist because he's just so hard to read. He's a he's a mini archist. He's a very small <laughs> man. Um, uh, it was, it was, this he would love that joke. Yeah, uh, that that joke uh, is almost as debilitating as his feet. Um, so <laughs> I love Tom. People who don't know Tom's a great dude. I rag on him. Uh, but the more uh, the more I shit on you, the more I like you. So uh, you know, it's, it's a weird kink. Don't shame. Um, but gentlemen, I appreciate y'all. I, I think there is some encouragement for a clubhouse room after this. Um, so do what you want to. I'm not your boss yet. Uh, when I become supreme overlord of North America, there will be anarchy. You will get fully to choose whether to be a part of my regime or go to the work camps. So with that being said, <laughs> gentlemen, I appreciate you both greatly. You're both fucking awesome. Um, there will have to be a winner. There will have to be a loser. And uh, everyone's gay for midgets. Bootleg libertarian. Nice. Um, go go vote on the polls. Uh, like the podcast. Go to uh, Tom for 52.com. That's 2MFOR52.com. Go to taxationistheft.info. Uh, go to electnallybruno.com. Go to, uh, what's the other one? Oh, I got, I got Talier for, for ky.com. Just, dude, unload your entire bank account. I know you got paid today. It's Friday. Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, gentlemen, you're both not real libertarians. And uh, I, I know everyone's going to be like, that's not real anarchy and that's not real min- minarchy. So just expect that in the comments. That's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> they can come on the show and I can tell them why they can kiss my ass. So, uh, <laughs> it's got dark. And, and none hey, of us are real libertarians. No one is. No one is. But, uh, gentlemen, good night. Good liberty. And, uh, taxation is theft. Taxation is, in fact, theft. Night, guys. Mm-hmm.